Welcome to StartupCTO.io, the podcast where Miles Mathias and Kevin Owaki interview engineering leaders about management, startups, and software, because your CS degree didn't teach you to lead. And now, StartupCTO.io. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. My name is Kevin Owaki and I'm here with my co-host Miles Mathias. Hey everyone. Our guests this week are Jack Dietrich and Ryan Van Middlesworth. Uh, They are the partners at Fount, a digital product design and development studio based on the east coast of the United States. Welcome guys. Thank you. Glad to have you. Could you tee us off by telling us a little bit about yourselves and about Fount? Sure, sure. I can go um, first. My name's so I'm Ryan Van Middlesworth, and um, I'm one of the founding partners of Fount. Uh, I've been in the I've been in the tech industries, you know, for close to 20 years, and sort of started out as a uh, doing network administration uh, kind of support stuff, and then quickly in, within a couple of years um, transitioned into software development kind of role, and then have just stayed in that role and sort of merged that with. Um, an increasing amount of sort of managerial, you know, dev team lead um, kind of roles, and um, I've been doing mostly back end development, um, uh, and, but also some some front end work and, and even Android native stuff uh, on the side. Hey, it's uh, Jack Dietrich. Um, so I, I lead the business side of Fount. Um, have both business and law education and experience. Um, had founded my own startup uh, with some venture backing and. Uh, it sort of fizzled and then joined another startup uh, on the biz dev side and and then took that in. It's where I met um, our other founding partners, um, including Logan Edwards, who's not with us today. But, um, you know, we had launched Fount uh, having met there and decided, you know, we were looking for more interesting work to take on um, and to do things in a way that was that we thought was different um, than both the traditional startup uh, structure and as well as the traditional agency structure. Got it. Uh, and, and could you guys tell us a little bit more about the things that you were trying to do differently with Fount? I'm assuming they were informed by things that you had previously encountered in your careers. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I, I had been wanting to sort of to, to move into a freelance uh, contracting sort of role for a long time, um, but didn't. I don't have the the, the business acumen uh, and to, to sort of to shake up uh, uh, the, the contracts and, 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 you know, call out to do cold calling and things like that. Um, and so it had been something that I'd wanted to do, um, but was unable to. And then when uh, presented with the opportunity uh, with, uh, with, of working with Jack and, and getting to know him, um, that, that created the, the perfect opportunity. We had two developers, one designer, and uh, uh, the biz dev uh, component of that. And that was precisely what we needed to, to create our own, to, to create this company and step out and do things. And, um, I had been, all of us had been in the industry for a few years and, and had sort of gone through, uh, the burnout cycle. Um, I've, I've seen, I've gone through it myself. I've seen other people go through it and it's sort of, I think it's endemic to the software, uh, in, industry. Um, but it's not, that's not the only place that happens, but, um, one thing I, I, I realized is that, is that I was not ever burning out on the work. I was burning out on the, the workplace. And so um, that was sort of a common theme that we, we had seen. And, and when we started Fount, our underlying goal was basically just to create a company that didn't burn people out. Um, so that 
that was sort of the driving force. We'd t- grown tired of, of that, that, that cycle. And so what we had to do was take a step back and sort of figure out what it was we didn't like, what was, you know, what was causing people to burn out. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons that that, you know, that sort of happens. It's different for everyone, but, but some of the ones that we kept, kept coming back to is sort of like a, a, lo- a lack of voice in the, uh, in the organization. Um, mm-hmm. and, and whether that's no, you know, not no visibility into the decision-making process or, or um, and, and no voice in, in, that, in that process for like product roadmap or features or strategy. Um, and, and we, we found there's, you know, there's, there's nothing more demoralizing than sort of, you know, implementing, uh, features that you think are a bad idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that's definitely one factor. I think, yeah, from, from the sort of business side, when we you know came together and discussed, you know, venturing out on our own and, and taking on, uh, different projects was really recognizing that the traditional agency structure, um, didn't really have the incentives um, align with uh, the most valuable resource, which which are the engineers and the designers, you know that that you're trying to sell. And for me, having come from uh, you know trying to sell a, an IoT product and service, um, I found it a lot easier to sell really good uh, engineering and design talent, you know. And and the traditional agency structure sort of tried to cram down. It looked like you know to the junior most, um, you know, operator, uh, you know, try to, to get to work and, and, and try to find the most junior and, and to, to sort of maximize profit on that side in the short term. Um, but then you have the problem of it, it doesn't reward. Um, and it, you know, the client's not going to be happy towards, you know, as, as it moves on, the, the senior engineers are not going to have the, the interesting work. Um, and so for us, we needed to structure a company that, you know, had all the incentives aligned both in, in, you know, sharing the equity, um, but also the decision-making as far as which projects to take on. So I can't tell, uh, at Fallon, I don't, I can't say, Hey, you need to work on this project. Given our structure, you know, anyone can turn any project down and say, you know, go fish. Um, and I'll, you know, find more interesting work, iterate on that, um, and, and bring that forward. So it's, it's very different than that traditional structure. It's almost an inverted structure. Um, but it also rewards, uh, you know, hard work and, and those that are passionate about projects and the clients end up, you know, having uh, contractors that want to work on their project. Otherwise, it would have been voted down and, and nobody would be working on it. How does that work when the agency, maybe maybe you haven't run into this problem, but when, I mean, I, I've worked at several agencies uh, in the past and there always usually comes a time where like you're, you're have bills to pay, and so you like you don't do the most exciting project ever, but you know like it's uh, work and income. So, I mean, how does that work in some of those situations? Or have you, I guess, been lucky enough not to run into anything like that? We've been, you know, fortunate to have a good variety of, of projects um, to scope out and, and decide from. Um, it's you know going to be a scale in that there will be times where okay, it's this is you know really the only viable project. Um, and so it's an opportunity to either take that project or say, you know, I'd like to work on, uh, you know, some of our internal projects or side projects, um, and build those out or build some of the tools, um, that our company uses, you know, to sort of run this model. Um, but the other thing is that we, you know, the way that we compensate, um, you know, the talent is, is, is rather, uh, 
it's very fair um, to the talent. We have very little overhead, um, and so we're able to share a lot of that, you know, you know, with the the engineers and designers, um, which also helps on the client side because they're not paying for, you know, all these these middle people or or you know, fancy office suites and, and those types of things. Um, in that case, you know, most of our our team builds up a buffer, you know, for those gaps or for those times when they want to work on. Uh, the projects you know that are more interesting than, than the paid projects that are being presented, um, and then you also have the profit sharing, um, which helps to sort of smooth those gaps as well, um, and and you know allow you to take on those that that work. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how you know one thing that you talked about developers and designers and they're aligning their incentives. Uh, I think it was in your blog post that you were talking about that. Do you hire, are you of the mind where you hire designers that know how to code or how do you guys uh, full, uh, facilitate that relationship? Um, <clears throat> so we're always, we're always on the lookout for, for, for talent, um, but we've, we've got a pretty high, high bar on what we want to do. We've, so far we've been pretty selective about bringing on uh, a lot of senior talent and, and talent that's just right for um, the, the opportunities that we're looking for. And, and if we don't have that, have that talent, um, you know, each of us have sort of networks of people that, that, that have always wanted to sort of get into freelancing um, and contracting. And, that, and, that, and so that's, that's our first round where if internally we don't have uh, something that we need to, to fulfill a, a contract, we'll, we'll look out to our, our, our close networks of people um, that are interested in, in, in getting into contracting. And so that's, that's sort of the process for filling those, those talent gaps or, or skills gaps. Yeah, we have a pretty wide... Um you know, array of, of skills and experience on the team. We, we lean towards um, having more senior talent given that we don't have a traditional training program. We don't have um, the ability or time or nor that we want the client to pay for, um, you know, learning on the job. Um, and so that sort of keeps us from having, um, that gives us the opportunity to take on a lot of different projects and be able to sort of back that up um, with different knowledge sharing, you know, with among our team that you wouldn't normally find, I guess, if you had, you know, just picked a freelancer um, that doesn't have that network or, you know, or isn't part of a collective or, or agency. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Um, <clears throat> did you have any other kind of tips? I mean, uh, uh, the avoiding burnout is like a huge issue, and especially at agencies, I feel like when there can sometimes be a lack of a like a specific product launch or goal or whatever in terms of building a, a company a large company I mean do you have any other advice uh, that you want to mention about avoiding burnout as far as um, maybe more generally uh, the difference we took a sort of bottom-up approach to building fount as opposed to you know let's find a client and then you know as we said, sort of push it down from the top um, structurally where it's, if you think of it as sort of a collective of freelancers, you know, to start with and, and what benefit does, does that have among it? So it's the knowledge sharing. Um, it's being able to refer work among each other, you know, that comes in different, different routes, um, being able to team up on a project as opposed to having the client have to piece together six, you know, six different freelancers for work. Um, and so it's, and then avoid some of the problems that you have as a freelancer, which is, you know, you're on your own a lot and, and you don't pick up, um, you know, that sort of serendipitous knowledge of seeing 
or hearing, you know, other developers and designers and the work they're doing or the approaches they take. Um, and so that starting from that bottom up and then adding on top of that, what are the, what are the pain points that we can sort of solve, whether it's, um, you know, putting in systems that for voting on work or voting on leaders, um, or voting on the, you know, you know, which project to take on next or which labs projects we want to reward with equity. Um, those types of things keep you know, me on the, on the business side. I'm less concerned with the burnout because I know we have, you know, we get the, I get the feedback on what type of work is interesting. I know that the compensation and the equity, you know, is, is, is generous and enough and, and, and grows with the more work that you do with, with Fount. Um, that is, I, I'm not concerned to see that our, you know, our team's going to leave or, or an engineer is going to be disgruntled and leave uh, the next day or, or after so many months um, because of that diversity of work. So I'm curious, up until now, we've sort of talked a little bit about where you guys came from and what you didn't want to do. But um, in founding Fount, I was wondering if there's any positive examples that you guys saw uh, that you took inspiration from uh, around these principles of democracy or, or transparency and designers and developers being able to choose their own work. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, so, so a few years ago, I, uh, I had been exposed to um, uh, a really fascinating book called uh, The Invisible Hook, and, and it's by Peter uh, Leeson. Um, and, it, and it explains the, the economic reasons... Um, that that pirate uh, code was so successful at uh, as an organizational mechanism uh, during sort of the golden age of, of piracy uh, during the you know the 18th century, and in that um, a, a good portion of that is about the the organizational structure that that evolved, um, uh, and it was it was it was pretty much common across across most of, of these of these pirate crews during that period, and they had um, they all revolved around very similar principles. Um, and what's, what was fascinating was they were solving the, you know, the exact same problems um, that, that we wanted to solve. Um, so that, you know, l- lack of, lack of a, a voice in the organization, um, no, n- not being personally invested in the, the success of your, of your company. Um, or in other words, like no meaningful, sort of no meaningful sharing of risks and, and rewards. So if, if, you, if, if my company does well and... I get this. I get the same wage as if they, and if they do poorly, and if, if the, I don't have a different wage based on that, it, it, then successes or failures don't impact me. It's hard to be interested in in, in them. Um, and then, sort of like a toxic management culture was another thing that, that that was burning. You know, I had been experienced with, and and had been part of part of the burnout cycle. And so, pirate crews um, were solving a lot of similar problems. They because. A pirate ship's basically a medium-sized business. You know, crew, crew sizes could be dozens of people, uh, up to you know over 100, 150 people on some of the larger ships. They had to be profitable. They had to maintain uh, crew loyalty and and have high retention rates, um, just simply because uh, a mutiny was a much more much more uh, likely scenario when 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 the crew doesn't have to worry about the sort of legal ramifications of that uh, back mm-hmm. home, um, and so. This book was we, was really inspiring to us, and, the, and and a lot of these these, these concepts were really inspiring to us, um, because pirate crews were based on democracy. Um, they would vote on major decisions. They would the captains, the uh, and the quartermasters were elected by the crew. Um, so 
a captain that was failing failing the organization you know would be voted down and, and replaced um, they had checks and balances uh, captains had complete authority during during a time of war um, but otherwise the, the quartermaster sort of handled out uh, a, a lot of the rewards and punishment and things like that and then they had a uh, pretty egalitarian um, profit sharing model uh, much more much much more fair than than traditional merchant ships and and flat and so all of that appealed to us they were solving a lot of similar problems and it and had run had proven itself that that structure had proven itself over the for the uh, you know for for a considerable period of time during that that period mm-hmm. and so when we founded fount we that's you know we 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 centered on those principles democracy um so we vote on on pretty much all the major all major decisions uh, everyone gets everyone votes uh, on on things like what projects we're going to take on, uh, capital expenditures, and and those kind of things. Um, we we promote from below. So whenever a team is formed, they that team elects you know the captain of that team, and any any position of uh, authority or leadership at Fount is elected from from below instead of appointed from above. Um, we have. Our plan for every everyone that participates in our company is, is sort of a full time, uh, as a full time operator, is on a path to, to being an owner, um, and so that that sort of avoids the principal agent problem where, uh, if people don't have skin in the game, then democracy isn't really a, a you can't really turn you know you can't really rely on a workplace democracy if everyone doesn't have skin in, in the game. Um, so owner ownership. Um, across, Equal, equal ownership across the board definitely helps with that. And then uh, transparency was, was another big one. So all the owners that found get to have full visibility into, into the, you know, the, the ledger. And, and we know everyone can see what, what, who, who's being paid what, whose rate is what, what we spend our money on. And, and, and that really just makes a lot of, uh, it just makes a lot of um, bad uh, it removes a lot of the incentives or capability for for mal- mal- sort of malfeasance or, or or that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I think specifically, um, you know, some specific examples of how we apply that um, on the ownership piece. Um, so we have, you know, oh, oh, every quarter we release new shares um, among the active owners. You know, that are split evenly um, among those that are full time. Uh, and so what that tends to do over time is is uh, the ones that have, you know, been there a while but haven't contributed or not are not active, uh, we'll see their ownership get diluted. Um, and those that are, you know, still active and and contributing um, are going to see it rise. Uh, and and that includes, you know, if someone isn't being chosen or selected um, onto these project teams, onto these ships, um, you know, they're not going to have hours that count towards, you know. Being a full-time, you know, member and, and getting more ownership shares, so it has a way of working out and phasing out, you know, those that that, for whatever reason, uh, aren't being chosen for these teams, mm-hmm. um, and, and then you know we elect the the, the captain of each project um, is elected, but that can that they can be recalled by that team, um, and so it, it there are we try not to bog down in a vote from every decision, you know, if needed, because it's sort of in effect. You can sense from the team, um, and and they make the decisions. But if it comes to it, you know, you can raise it for a vote. Wow, um, you know, it's so funny. I was reading this article about how <clears throat> the industrial revolution 
uh, sort of define the way that we think of the modern workplace, 40 hours a week, nine to five kind of thing. Um, and it's so funny because our, our modern knowledge work kind of str- our knowledge work uh, economy inherits more from the industrial revolution than anything else art well arguably uh and it seems like such a radical notion to structure your product development studio around piracy but when you think about it you've got small teams pooled resources and everyone is metaphorically all in the same boat so i i can see why there's a lot of uh parallels there yeah when we you know the first discussion you know about forming you know, a, a different venture for us, you know, Ryan had brought this up based on, you know, his knowledge. Um, and it, it was, it really lined up with what I thought was going to be a, the major consideration is you have, if you have very talented engineers and designers, um, you know, they tend to be independent, um, somewhat rogue individuals that don't want to be locked into one company for a very long time. Uh, and so it lends itself well to studio agency work. Um, where you have different projects and if it's not working and you give, you know, reasonable notice or you complete what you've signed up for, um, you know, you move on to the next project. So it lends itself very well to that, um, to keeping uh, and, and using a, a pirate code and a structure that keeps these rogue and independent operators um, in line with what really is a minimal set of standards and skills and a lot of flexibility, you know, to get the job done. So in the pirate analogy, you know, you have bunch of independent operators on a ship they go on their operation and they need to to be organized enough uh, to be successful and and similar to our project teams that you know they have a a job to do and if it's not working out you can you know vote someone out off that ship and and they're done with that project um or you just don't choose them next time and uh, and really specifically when we talk about the rates when we evaluate and scope out a project you know, everyone sort of pitches in of that team and, and figures out, okay, this is how much it's going to take based on my experience. And, you know, we have various different internal bids before we finalize, you know, our own bid uh, to the client. Um, but you you can't just say, I'm you know, I'm worth $500 an hour uh, and it's going to take me, you know, 100 hours because then you're not going to get voted onto that team or, or it can be challenged and, and it's sort of all has the effect of bringing it to a reasonable level, um, you know, given whatever past experience you have, you know, billing at that rate or whatever we think that your, our knowledge of the skill set among that team is, um, you know, that you're worth it to the client at that rate. That's awesome. Uh, I, th- I think that's a really good way to do it. And it helps, it sounds like it really helps to be super transparent amongst everybody. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about was, um, you know, you talk about the shares that people can get. Um, and I just wanted to ask a little bit more about how, like, mechanically that works. So um, I guess my first question is, in, in your blog post, you talked about after someone leaves, their share of the company dwindles. Um, that, that's just because you kind of allocate more to the people that are there. Um, so they just kind of lose percentage. but no one loses shares after they leave or do they? Right. We don't, we don't pull back shares. Um, but yeah. because there's a, a set amount, uh, that's, you know, this, this quarterly pot that's divided among, uh, the active operators that are, that are owners. Um, yeah, it's going to have the effect of diluting those that aren't actively, you know, aren't a part of that pot anymore because they've left and they're not active. 
or they've been cho not chosen uh, for additional work because nobody wants to work with them. Definitely. Yeah, I was just I was just curious about that. Um, and then, um, so does the ownership just mainly decide kind of how much percent of profit share an individual gets on the team? Or is there liquidity to the equity as well? So the the profit share just runs along the percentage line. So at the end of each quarter, um, you know, whatever's left over then gets split among the current, you know, ownership at that time. Um, and so when you have quarterly shares uh, released each quarter and, the, and that dynamic ownership changes, it's each quarter you have to reconcile differently um, that profit sharing. Got it. So, so yeah, so it mainly just helps uh, facilitate the splits of profit sharing. So, like, for instance, another draw of, like, being at a company where they give, like, shares on the stock market or, you know, at a startup where you're going to have the ability to sell those shares to outside investors uh, if you want the liquidity or um, at some point if the company is acquired, then those shares, you know, have a financial return as well. Um, I was just curious uh, if those kind of things, which aren't necessarily a bad thing not to have, but I just wondered if like those things had ever come up as questions of employees um, uh, in your company. Right, the shares will still have um, you know value. So if Fountain were to be acquired, you know, a year from now, it would be you know based off of the ownership uh, percentage sure. at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but unlike other companies, I mean, maybe the, maybe this assumption is wrong, but um, you, it doesn't sound like you guys have any kind of like set goal to like go get acquired in two years or something like that, you know. And and uh, I, I just gathered from your blog post since you haven't taken outside investment or anything like that, then that that's kind of like not on the roadmap at all. Uh, so I was I was just wondering if, if that if the liquidity came up uh, from any employees or not. Yeah, it's um, you know something we have. You know, built into our structure. Um, as far as we, we we have labs projects that um, you know we are still early that we'd like to spin off into you know different ships and then even different companies. Those would be more um, akin to something that you would you know got it raise outside capital for. But I mean, found itself when we started was we bootstrapped it and, and were able to sort of get um, a really important early client. Um, that allowed us to sort of, you know, to run pretty quickly with it and then added to the team and, and added different clients and, um, you know, and, and really the value again on our team isn't as, as much um, any sort of specific product or service we're offering other than, you know, the, the core talent. Right. Got it. <clears throat> hey, Miles, uh, it seems like we're getting towards the bottom of the hour. Uh, how do you feel about moving into yeah. final questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. You want the first one? Sure. So uh, what is your favorite war story? Sure. Um, so I've been, do I've been doing the software development um, for, for a while, and I, and I sort of have, you know, the usual, um, usual war stories about projects where, where you know, t tech debt has, has sort of un mounting unaddressed tech debt has, has sort of become a problem. Um, I've seen, and, and seen projects underbid, but... Probably the, the the most influential sort of war story was I, I started at a, a I worked at a company and, and came in as sort of one of the early employees and was with that company um, as until it grew to you know over 
couple hundred people. And, and I, during that period, I, that, that's, that was really influential for me because I, I, at at the beginning, I had all the things that I was experiencing. You know, I had a a voice in the company. I had uh, direction in in where things were going. Um, And as the, as that company grew, uh, sort of watched uh, people just sort of one by one burn out and get sort of alienated uh, by the process and, and the hierarchy and just sort of completely lose interest and and just watched watched how a company evolves as it as it goes through through that kind of growth and uh let's see we've spent a lot of the episode talking about engineering values uh but what would you say that uh what would you say that what would you say that your values are and uh if we've already covered that then what would you say that uh like how would you say that you communicate the values to the team members uh, such that you make sure that the values are a good fit for the, the team member and that they totally understand them? Yeah, for us, um, you know, we talked about democracy and, and you know, having a voice, um, you know, whether you're been with us for a short period of time or, or for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then transparency so that we know, you know, what people are asking rates and hours wise and, and where the profit's going and, what the ownership structure is. Um, so those things are, are core values. And and I think just being upfront and communicating those from the start. Mm-hmm. And we have a trial period. So we, we when we bring someone on that we want to work with, um, you know, we'll ideally find an internal uh, internal type project where they're not, you know, in front of the client from the start, uh, if we can. But we it's it's a two-way trial to see if it's a good, if the way that we're structured is a good fit for them, because it's not for everyone. Um, you know, there are some people that are better suited for full-time employment and, and uh, at a traditional company. Um, and so, but we're also evaluating how do, how do they operate both technically and then how do they operate as far as the culture that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's, what's different is we don't, we're not providing the test questions or, what, or the criteria that we're uh, judging, uh, you know, that operator on because we don't, again, we don't have that ability to, to train and coach and babysit and, and do all those things, um, that hopefully they've, they've done as, as you know, before they got the fount. Um, and so we want to see someone in their natural habitat and how they operate, you know, without knowing the, the questions and the answers to the test. So they don't just during that trial period operate in a way that, uh, disguises, you know, the true way that they operate because they've, we've given them the standards that we're judging them on. Uh- I think I'd like to I'd like to expand on that a little bit in that mm-hmm. we also um, in creating in creating found I think fairness was 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 basically the underlying principle like we wanted to make a company where what you were compensated according to the value that you brought we didn't we didn't like this arrangement where you know the early one the early people into the company you know received a, uh, an unfair sort of portion of of wealth afterwards or people who had stopped contributing still continued to 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 reap reward from that we wanted to and it was it was kind of a it was kind of an interesting uh sort of time when we you know we realized we wanted to create a company that we could all be voted out of um if we were not if we were not engaging uh, you know if we if we were if we were not being fair we were not pulling our own weight we wanted a company that we could be voted out of that was that was fair to everyone in it and and the underlying principle uh around pretty much everything we do is is to sort of create a a fair environment. I think that's great. Well, thanks so much for 
Our last question. Uh, we have one more question. Uh, it's just where can you, we find you guys online? Yep, uh, fountstudio.com or at fountstudio on Twitter. Um, and then we've also, uh, we have a few Slack apps that we we that came out of sort of the structure we've set up for voting or, you know, exporting uh, different data. So we have a, uh, a vote.fountstudio.com uh, Slack app. We have an export one. We have a spoiler one uh, as well for spoiler alerts in Slack. Um, but we use both the, you know, a lot of those tools uh, to facilitate our structure. Um, so check those out. Huh. Cool. Some neat add-ons for Slack. Thanks for mentioning those. Well, Jack and Ryan, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Find us at startupcto.io or on Twitter at startupctoio. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode. Thank you.